everybody, welcome to Dumb and Awful. This is Brett, everyone was bored. This is Liv, uh, Liv posting on Twitter and Twitch. And uh, this is Babs, um, Cowgirl Bebop on Twitter and uh, from Radio Free Labor and Dead Poster Society. So this week, uh, Rob is still out. Uh, all of his procedures have gone well. He will be back by next week. In the meantime, I have been wanting to do this little mini series that I'm calling the most evil companies in the world for a little bit. And so the idea being we'll take an episode and we'll pick a company or two companies if they work together consistently and delve into the various evils. Because for all that we do, the like there's no ethical consumption under capital. There are definitely companies that are more doing venal sins and companies that are doing mortal sins. So like in the future, we might do one on like Bayer since they intentionally gave people AIDS. There's Siemens, the German engineering company who built tons of shit for the Nazis, including the gas chambers, or, or like the classically genocidal corporations like the Congo Free State. A whole lot of options here. There, there's a surfeit of evil fucking companies. For this episode, we're going to focus on companies that are responsible for labor abuses, coups, outright massacres, all in the name of a single fruit. So we're going to be doing the banana companies, United Fruit, which is now Chiquita, and Standard Fruit, which is now Dole. So Chiquita is definitely the more evil of the two historically, but uh, Dole's got a lot of evil in its back pocket as well, so don't sleep on them. We're going to talk about uh, the evils of the banana companies for this one. For such like a, a kind of like bland fruit, you're always surprised that it like it can do so much damage. I feel like. <laughs> mm-hmm. like a very mid mid tier fruit. You think that like if like companies were going to do like such an imperialism over exporting a fruit that it would taste a little bit better. Fun fact, uh, the fruit we used to have, the banana we eat now is not the banana that started all of this. We used to eat what was called the Gros Michel, which was a little bit bigger, sweeter, held up better in shipments, so it didn't bruise as easily, and it was more nutritious. Basically, it was just way superior banana. We'll get to it dying off in the 50s, which caused the companies to go crazy and just encourage them to do more insane shit to replace it. But the one we have now, the Cavendish, is... Honestly, the shittiest banana. They were struggling to find a good replacement, and this was one that was bland enough that us dumb apes in America would accept it. So <laughs> it was when it was called the Gross Michelle. Yeah, yeah well, I was gonna say what an unfortunate name. <laughs> yeah, all the banana names are from Europeans, even though bananas come from uh, basically a swath of rainforest from Southeast Asia through Southern China, India, and into Africa. Funny how that works, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's all <laughs> British explorers and other assholes. <laughs> well, it's it's called a Big Mike. That's the translation. Big Mike. There we what? go. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool, actually. That's a good name. They're almost entirely dead now, but if you can find one, they actually taste amazing. So just. A real quick setup before we get into the various ills and evils of these companies. All of the foundings for these companies all started around the same time in the 1890s. So post-Civil War, United Fruit got founded by a combination of the sea captain, Lorenzo Baker, and Andrew Preston, which was like a local Boston produce buyer. Basically what happened is Baker was returning from a journey, uh, came back to Jamaica, had to get a bunch of repairs done, and then was going to set sail up to New Jersey and then Boston, and on a whim decided to load up on bananas because they grow fucking everywhere in Jamaica. And he just managed to make the run because bananas go bad pretty quickly. And back in the day, sometimes it took you anywhere from 13 to 25 days to make that trip. And he got back uh, in time to sell all of them and made like a thousand percent profit. That was enough to get him going. And he partnered with Andrew Preston, this Boston produce guy who, Andrew Preston was a full fucking psychopath, which we'll get into in a second. But they partnered together in 1885, founded Boston Fruit, as it was called. They quickly, quickly expanded. Andrew Preston invented the cold storage for shipping fruit. That was all invented for banana shipments um, to keep them fresh for longer. So he invented this, created this entire distribution network up and down the eastern seaboard of um, refrigerated warehouses and refrigerated ships so that they could keep everything fresh and delivered across the board. So they are Boston Fruit at this point. And then they add one more guy to make themselves United Fruit. And this dude they added in 1899. Uh, they added this dude. His name is Minor C. Keith. This guy's a Texan. He was in Costa Rica building a railroad. So this guy built the first railroad to go through all of Costa Rica. It took something like 15 years. It killed almost everybody who worked on it. Him and his cousin and his brothers all fucking helped fund it. Like it was a real psychopath endeavor where like, yeah, we'll just keep throwing bodies at this and eventually the railroad will get built. 
at one point they were so desperate for labor they went to new orleans and they went to a prison and they said hey if you agree to work on the railroad in return at the end you'll get a pardon you'll be free 700 prisoners volunteered and only 25 made it jesus christ jeez yeah so that's the other guy who helped found this company (laughs) um but one of the things that he discovered and became like the de facto way to do banana business in central america was he made this deal with costa rica where he got in exchange for building the railroad for free at a certain point was the exchange he made he got a bunch of land on either side of the railroad to do with what he wanted and he would grow bananas and then ship them back and sell them and so he very quickly was making way more money on the bananas than he ever did operating the railroad and so that's what united fruit and standard fruit that became basic practice is you manipulate the government to give you a huge swath of land in return for you building a little bit of infrastructure so they just rinse and repeat over and over and over again. Well, it always sounds like a good deal, I'm sure, for like, you know what I mean, like the the, the country that they're invading, and then it just ends up murdering everyone around them. Yeah. And th- at this point in like uh, 1890, 1890s, 1900s, this is all Spanish imperial, Spanish empire has fallen apart. Like a lot of these countries are ruled by random petty dictators who are like, yeah, sure, I want to modernize so that I can get richer. Um, and so that's always what the deal was struck. And uh, random aside here, so right before the United Fruit got its official founding in 1899, that's when the U.S. took Cuba from Spain. And then right after that, United Fruit became one of the first companies allowed into Cuba. And they immediately established shitload banana and sugar plantations uh, to the point where they covered, I think, like 300,000 acres of Cuba. Uh, but yeah, so it's United Fruit started in 1899 by these uh, a sea captain, a Boston psychopath, and a Texas psychopath. They very quickly became like, the de facto leader in the banana industry. The sea captain honestly seemed like the best of the bunch. He almost immediately retired and was like, cool, I'm going to get drunk in Jamaica. You guys do whatever. <laughs> I mean, he probably, he, st- he still did bad things, but I mean, at least that's a better attitude than these other psychopaths. Yeah, if you're going to be like an imperialist capitalist, be at least be like that. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but so that's Chiquita. That is what is now has become Chiquita, United Fruit. Uh, on the other end is Dole. So Standard Fruit was founded by... These two Sicilian brothers, the Vaccaro brothers, 1899. Hey. Yep. It's a person of color run yeah. business. <laughs> uh, they did, you know, they did a little smuggling, a little gun running. Uh, they also did a little New Orleans fruit distribution. <laughs> just That's like, just Sicilian culture. Just, <laughs> just some real fucking sketchy guys, basically. So they started selling bananas from uh, Roatan, this island off of what is now Belize, but at the oh, time it was Honduras. There. Yeah, it's supposed to be beautiful. It's really, really pretty, yeah. Good to know. We'll come back to that for one of these coups, <laughs> yeah. coups in a minute. What the Vaccaro brothers did, their own little bit of sketchiness here to start is, so they they started these shipments, they were making money, and they wanted to get a huge investment so that they could grow. And so they went to a bunch of local Honduran merchants and said, we'll sell you shares of the company in exchange for your investment. Pretty normal stuff. They started seeing massive profits. So in 1903, the investors were like, yo, where the fuck is our return? And so the brothers said, hey, we've got an idea of how to fix this. And so they went and burned down the city hall so that none of the records of land ownership or business dealings could be recovered. Italian-American excellence (laughs) at its core. Uh, And the Honduran national government was like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how our two evil companies were founded. So we're going to get, I'm going to do this chronologically. We'll do it by like sort of chunks of years. Mm -hmm. Um, Before I do that, just a little bit about the banana industry so you get how it works. In case you didn't know, the banana is the most popular fruit in the world. Uh, in Why? the U.S. Like, I, 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 in, in the U.S., I can't get that it's that it's the most popular. Like, I, that mm. just makes no sense. I feel like that's, like, the last thing that, like, you choose when you're at, like, the bodega and, like, you need, like, a snack or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's not even close in the U.S. either. It's more popular than apples and oranges combined. Like, it's really? wild. Yeah, it's not is even it close. Is it easier to make or easier to produce? Nope. Oh. <laughs> I actually, if I anything, like it's it. a lot okay. fucking harder. Point of fact, bananas only can be grown in the tropics. So there are no farms in America. They've tried to do a plantation or two in Florida, and it hasn't really gone well because Florida gets just enough cold snaps to ruin it. Other weird part about it is all the bananas that we eat are basically just clones. Uh, It's the same plant. It's genetically identical across the board. It's not. So that means any disease that hits one can kill all of them. So every Cavendish banana is genetically identical to every other Cavendish banana. It creates all these problems when it comes to growing because each individual banana can be wiped out by a single disease. There's no ability 
to produce disease resistant versions without doing like a shitload of genetic experiments uh, and modification. And that usually doesn't work either. They've tried. It usually goes poorly. Um, it's because it's a clone. It doesn't really, uh, it's not really like a male or female plant. Um, so it's genderless and the banana, the phallic part, the, the fucking banana itself grows out of what are the female organs of the plant. So we love uh, our agender plants, folks. We yeah. Love can I write a paper about queering plants? <laughs> queering how Dole queered the fruit industry. <laughs> uh, these companies were all found in 1899. By 1900, uh, in America, we were eating about 15 million bunches a year. By 1910, it was 40 million. And it got to a point where, like, in 1913, they actually thought about doing a banana tax because the banana companies realized if they just mass produced, they were going to make more money. So it was available to everybody, including like poor people. Uh, and it was always relatively cheap. And so they thought about doing a tax and the New York times, just an example of them always being dicks said like, no, we shouldn't do a tax because uh, the urban poor were quote entitled to their little luxuries. That's so gross. <laughs> and yet, and yet something that could still be printed this very ex exact day by like Brett Stevens or something like that. <laughs> it's nice to know they never change. It's frustrating how little has changed with a lot of these organizations where you're like, yeah, we still do this shit. It should be noted that throughout like the early 1900s, Americans saw the banana industries as like exemplars of American business. Part of that was they were really good at PR as we'll get into. But part of that was just, it was a tropical exotic fruit that was cheap. Everyone could buy it. And they they explained away any ills as like, well, they're they're building industry in these new areas. Like it was a fully endorsed uh, imperialist project by everyone in America. So this is like the imperialist capitalist blueprint for America, basically? Yes, the honestly, original. yes. This is, this is I, these guys invented a lot of great imperialism in the West. Um, a lot of things we'll talk about. You'll see mirrors of a lot of these activities today. Okay, let's get to the evils, the various ills. Um, so we're going to start with a period between 1910 through 1950 here. By 1910, United Fruit was fucking enormous. They owned, they basically owned Costa Rica, Guatemala, and Panama. Those governments were completely under their control. So we get up to about 1910, and we have our first coup. So we have United Fruit, we have Standard Fruit. And then there's this other small company run by this guy, Sam Zamuri, um, this Russian immigrant, uh, American guy. And he was another banana entrepreneur operating out of Honduras, slowly making more money, not really competitive with Standard Fruit United Fruit at this point, but doing okay. And he tried to get really favorable land and tax concessions from the government of Honduras. And they basically told him to go fuck himself. At this point, the government in Honduras was U.S. backed, right? So this was like an explicitly approved of by the U.S., so Sam being like, oh, I can't get my tax, my tax breaks or my land concessions. I'm like, fuck this shit. I'm going to do a coup. Genuinely, that was his thought process. Like, fuck it. Let's do a coup. So Sam, the banana man, as he was known, hired a private mercenary group led by two gangsters, Guy Machine Gun Maloney and Lee Christmas. This is that's something we like lost is, <laughs> is 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 cool gangster names like like we, we really lost you know some 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 weird shit like that. Can they need to bring back like very straightforward gangster honorifics like machine gun like <laughs> just calling yourself like Mister Mobster or something? <laughs> My name is Brett the Glock. <laughs> yeah. Be real straightforward with it. Uh, so he decides he's going to engineer a coup against Honduras, which. I mean, it sounds fucking far-fetched, but welcome to the banana industry. And the idea is you're going to put this this guy who had been a previous president, General Manila, uh, he's a nationalist because, of course, he was in charge. And so he bought a boat, sailed to New Orleans with his own private mercenary army with weapons, and he captured Roatan first, and then took over the port of Trujillo. And at that point, the U.S. government had been watching him the whole time. The CIA was spying on Sam, like, oh, this guy's up to no good. They didn't do anything. They just, like, towed his boat. They were like, hey, get out of here, buddy. It's like, <laughs> all right, and I, yeah, sure. And But at that point, it didn't matter. The coup went on its way, and General Bonilla resumed presidency um, in January. This all happened in, like, the space of three weeks. Resumed the wow. presidency, and then when they had November elections, elections in air quotes here, he won by hefty margin. So there's our first coup, Sam the Banana Man. He's going to come back up in Honduras in 1910. Uh, his So like I said before, he was doing his own private company at that point. 
almost immediately after that, they were bought out by United Fruit because of Weird. course they were. But so he was bought out almost immediately thereafter. And of course, after the coup, one of the first things the Honduras government did was give him a super generous land grant for banana growing. Uh, but what about the workers during this time? Well, they all got fucked too. 1918, the U.S. military put down banana worker strikes in Panama, Colombia, and Guatemala. The banana companies would also use mercenaries and local armies to put down strikes if the military, if the U.S. government didn't feel like rolling out of bed to crush people <laughs> in Guatemala who wanted fucking better wages. Usually they felt up to it, though, so they didn't have to call in the mercenaries too often. Uh, in 1920, the Guatemalan banana workers tried to unionize, so the U.S. Marines showed up. In 1924, uh, United Fruit started a massive PR campaign to convince everybody that bananas were healthy. This is actually when the idea of eating bananas and cereal was invented. They created wow. it wholesale. <laughs> yeah. Everything's it's, a fucking psyop. Like literally everything in American culture, I feel like, is a fucking psyop. Yup. <laughs> Don't worry. We're getting to way more psyops. We got, we got, we got a lot of that coming. Uh, so in 1925, the Panamanian banana workers went on strike. The whole country then followed. Uh, the canal closed, U.S. troops showed up. This is how the 20s went, right? <laughs> now we get to probably the worst example of this. So in 1928 uh, in Colombia, about 30,000 workers went on strike. They were demanding medical treatment, proper toilet facilities, pay in cash instead of company script because of fucking course United Fruit did company script. They wanted to be considered real employees instead of subcontractors. Sound familiar? Because mm. as subcontractors, <laughs> they didn't even get the minimal labor protections of Colombia in the 20s. That didn't apply because they were subcontractors. It's it funny insane. how that's continued to this day. <laughs> yeah, right? Mm. Thanks, thanks, guys. So United Fruit flipped out, and they began a thing that they do frequently through the years. They start telling everyone in the U.S. government that it's a subversive movement. And it's actually leftist. It's the Bolsheviks, right? The 20s. So it's the Bolsheviks. And so the government started getting real worried and interested as well. And so between the government and United Fruit, they pressured the Colombian government to fucking do something. So martial law was declared in Colombia. And then December 6th, shit got crazy. It was a Sunday. A bunch of people gathered in this town square in uh, Cienaga. So they weren't actually there to protest. Um, specifically, they were just, it was a Sunday. So, you know, they went to mass. Then they were supposed to hear a speech by the regional governor. So everyone in the region is in this town square. And so it was them and their families, their wives and kids were with them. And there was four machine gun positions surrounding the square up on the rooftops. And they were told to disperse and the crowd didn't. Some say they couldn't because there were so many people packed in there and it was pretty tight square. So the Colombian army opened fire and slaughtered everybody. United Fruit themselves said it was about a thousand people and they probably undersold it. Gabriel Garcia Marquez called it about 3000. I don't know if you guys have ever read hundred years of solitude, pretty amazing book really alarming when you realize that most of it is set in the backdrop of the horrors of working on a banana plantation. That is the majority of what the book is about. Like that is the context for hundreds of solitude. So he actually has this passage about it. I'll read you here about this. This, this is called the banana massacre. So Gabriel Garcia Marquez and hundred years of solitude described it like this 14 machine guns answered at once. But it all seemed like a farce. It was as if the machine guns had been loaded with caps because their painting rattle could be heard and their incandescent spitting could be seen, but not the slightest reaction was perceived, not a cry, not even a sigh among the compact crowd that seemed petrified by an instantaneous vulnerability. Suddenly on one side of the station, a cry of death tore open the enchantment. Ah, mother, a seismic voice, a volcanic breath, the road of a cataclysm broke out in the center of the crowd. 3,000 striking banana workers were killed, Jesus and all of them were thrown into the ocean. And then six months later, um, at another demonstration, they found the skeletons and skulls with a bunch of bananas were displayed as a warning to people. Oh my God. Jeez. That's disgusting. United Fruit. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, this is this is when they earned the name El Pulpo, which means octopus, because they were had their tentacles and fucking everything. Hmm. Deeply, deeply upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> a random, random fact. Cause I you remember saying there was all these like weird dictators around at the time. In Guatemala around this time period to like 1920. The guy in charge of Guatemala was uh, Manuel Cabrera, and he was a dictator. He wanted to quote-unquote modernize the country, right? The usual bullshit. So he had inv invited United Fruit to come in and build telegraph lines and railroads. And then all the wealth, unsurprisingly, went to the ruling class, which is people of Spanish lineage. But Cabrera himself was a super fucking weird dude. 
and he was obsessed with Minerva, the Roman goddess of wisdom. So he he used all the banana money to build Greco-Roman temples to Minerva. That was just a thing. Was this guy like one of those statue headed Abby on Twitter guys? Like before that, like before that was a thing. It's what happens when those people have like enough slave labor to like literally make those statues. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's basically what happened. He was like, sweet. Now that all the, uh, what are basically the, uh, People descended from the Mayans have been subjugated. Now I can use that that wealth to build temples to the Roman goddess of wisdom. <laughs> sure, bro. Uh, so to wrap up this stretch in the 19, 1932, United Fruit fired some striking Honduran banana workers. Pretty normal. Uh, and then right after that, the strikes organizer was assassinated. Uh, in 1939, United Fruit offered free textbooks to grade schools. It was the beginning of a, a big PR campaign for them to make sure bananas were considered healthy and that propaganda-wise, everybody thought of United Fruit as like a great savior. So at this point, uh, United Fruit has this massive navy called the Great White Fleet because they're, they're painted in all shimmering white. They've got like, I think it's something like 100 boats, right? They have one of the largest navies around. Um, Very normal shuttling. for a company Jeez. to have a navy. Yeah, yeah. It's an Antep uh, stream. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Uh, they come into play a lot here uh, for all the future coups, so it's good to know about that one. Uh, and they would also run cruises, so they would deliver the bananas one way, and then and then because because they were refrigerated on the return trip, they'd be like, "Hey guys, have you ever been on a refrigerated cruise to the Caribbean?" And people would pay them a bunch of money. Um, That's so weird. <laughs> real fucking bizarre stuff. And then World War II hits, and basically everything froze. Most of the fleet was called up into service. While Central America wasn't involved in the war, it didn't really matter. U-boats would sink any of the big ships that they found, which is what happened. One of the big banana ships that United Fruit owned got sunk. All the rest That's, of them were ticking up. Is that Praxis? Does that count as... <laughs> how does that work? Every so often, Very two conflicting. evil people hurt each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like when Biden supporters fight Trump supporters. You're like, all right, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go at it, guys. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't really want anybody to win, but I'm enjoying the bloody battle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we closed out in 46, 1946, United Fruit owned a million acres between Cuba, Jamaica, Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama, and Colombia. Jesus Christ. Fucking El Pulpo, a goddamn octopus. Uh, so before we move to the 50s and some of the other stuff going on, quick note in Guatemala, for the first time, they have a democratically elected president. Juan Jose Arevalo, who serves a full term, is first Guatemalan president to ever finish a term and leave without attempting to seize power. Big fucking deal. Holy shit. So you know not United Fruit's going to fuck that one up. Um, so we get to the 50s. And so during World War II, one of the big things that's happened is these two diseases start spreading, uh, Panama disease and Sagatoka. Panama disease is a fungus. Um, and like I said before, they're all clones, right? So there is no way to stop the disease by breeding hardier plants. That's not a thing. It just wipes them out. Both of the diseases start ravaging banana plantations. The Panama disease is the one that killed off the banana that we did eat all the way up through 50s and 60s, the gross Michelle, the big Mike. Sagatoka, though, they found could actually be cured. If you use copper sulfate, which is, it's basically like a blue crystal, if you've ever seen it. But you couldn't really, they couldn't find a way to do it as crop dusting. So they uh, used this method that French winemakers used, and they combined it with some lime and some oil to turn it into a fine spray. It was called the Bordeaux mixture. So this stopped oh. Sagatoka, right? I'm sure that's rec- great for the environment. Oh, yeah. And the people. I'm sure, yeah. So uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it sure. required 250 gallons per acre, 20 to 30 times per year of this shit to be sprayed. Jesus. And they would spray it regardless of whether or not people were in the field. And so it would turn the skin of the banana workers blue. Jeez. And then like bright blue to the point that they nicknamed them Perico parakeet because they look like parakeets oh my god um, amazing right uh so after a few months of exposure you couldn't get the blue tint off your skin anymore then you lose your sense of smell then you wouldn't be able to hold down food and then you would die and of course they didn't give a fuck about the people in the fields yay um <laughs> panama disease they couldn't find a chemical cure for so standard fruit being smaller when the panama disease hit immediately started testing out new bananas like they would they would do small plantations of a new banana type, send it, see how it how it worked. So we're trying bananas that were resistant. United Fruit being enormous, and this sounds similar to everything we deal with today with climate change, uh, enormous and heavily invested 
and this old banana went, absolutely not. We're not going to change. We're just going to double down and find a way to keep this going. So their solution that they landed on, based on zero science whatsoever, was, ah, if we flood the fields, then the Panama disease, this fungus, will die. Kind of true. <laughs> uh, also, man, everything else died too. So they would just basically like wipe the earth clean, leave the field fallow, move on to a new place. And the fallow field, meanwhile, being wiped clean of everything, uh, was a perfect breeding ground for more Panama disease. So they were like literally like playing God when he like flooded the earth essentially. Yeah. But like to but like to get rid of a disease. Cool. Very they were cool. just spreading it faster. So uh, what they were doing at this point, United Fruits tactic was we would run a plantation. Uh, the minute it got Panama disease and got to be too much of a problem, we'd break it down, move to a new one. We some of the buildings they literally just moved from one plantation to another. All, all of course all of the like manager buildings got just broken down and moved wholesale. And so they would just they needed ever larger tracts of land to keep this going right so that's where we're at when we get to the 50s also you remember sam the banana man he's in charge of united fruit now oh cool okay oh. <laughs> yeah the guy who overthrew honduras uh and was bought out now he's running the big fucking uh banana core cool cool times great come so, up my guy so now so now we're in the 50s we get to guatemala we're spending a little time on guatemala because shit gets wild like i said guatemala has arevalo First Guatemalan president ever democratically elected and then leaves without attempting to seize power, right? Big fucking deal. Um, he tries to push a bunch of reforms. Um, he, he even called himself a, a socialist in spirit, which um, everyone in the United States used to vilify him with. Uh, really what it meant was he wanted to do better things for people, but he didn't want to take on the banana companies. He left them alone. So they left him alone. And he was succeeded by this guy, Jacobo Arbenz who we're going to talk about a lot. But Arvalo, after he left presidency, was actually pretty bitter about it. And he said his big regret was that he didn't take on the banana companies, that the banana companies backed by the U.S. were the biggest problem in his country, and he was ashamed that he didn't do more about it. He tried to do neoliberal reforms and make things better, but it didn't really change much. Hmm. Weird. I wouldn't have expected that. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so Arbenz was elected. Arbenz uh, was not a socialist. But he did work with the Communist Party. It was part of his coalition. He had a few of them in his cabinet. And so the first thing Arbenz did to upset United Fruit was he asked them, shockingly asked them to pay export duties, to offer fair prices for the land it got, and to follow the Guatemalan constitution. Wild shit. In response to that, what they did was they hired, again, all he really said was like, please follow the law. Uh, so what United Fruit did was they hired this guy, Edward Bernays, who's the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Sure. Sure, why not? Yeah. Why, why not? Fine, fuck it. Everything in history is insane when you get deeper into it. Like I, all of it, you're just like, what the fuck? This guy, Edward Bernays, is considered the father of public relations. Yeah, he's an evil bastard. Like that's that's what that means. Yeah. Here's a quote from his, he has a book called Propaganda. That's the name of the book. Public relations, just, just remember. The quote from the book, if we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing it? Absolute psychopath. Holy Jeez. shit. <laughs> so he embarked upon a campaign to, quote, engineer consent. Those are his own fucking words. <laughs> so I don't know if this was the guy who invented the idea of manufacturing consent, yeah, but he definitely <laughs> popularized the fuck out of it. So Edward Bernays decides, like, all right, let's, uh, let's engineer some consent here. And so the goal of the campaign was to convince the American elite that Arbenz was a communist. Again, all Arbenz has done is said, please follow basic laws. That's, That's communism. That's communism. That's all he's done. So Bernays uh, flies journalists to Guatemala and takes them on, quote unquote, fact finding missions. They're basically just like luxury vacations. Uh, they spoon feed them the stories they want them to run. Uh, and as a result, they got about two dozen articles published over two years that portrayed Arbenz as this dangerous threat. One report said... Um, his goal was to engender hatred against American businesses. You know, the usual bullshit. This is going to sound familiar. This is what we still do. Hmm. Um, so he didn't really fucking care. So in 1952, he issued Decree 900, which really caused things to pop off. So Decree 900 redistributed land to local peasants. It allowed the government to confiscate any farm over 200 acres, so giant farms, so long as the land was unused, right? So... Only if there's vast tract of land that nobody's using, it goes, yeah, let's just give those to regular peasants so that they have something. So United Fruit, like I was saying, had a lot of fallow land because that's what they're doing with Panama disease, right? 
They're just flooding shit out and then leaving it. And they didn't want to give up the land because they thought if at some point you find a cure, we want to go back and farm on this. So fuck you. We're not giving it up. So they're super hostile to this idea. Overnight, this decree caused about a quarter million acres to get divided up among 100,000 families. So it was huge for the lower class of Guatemala at the time. And it did provide, it didn't just take the land, it did provide for compensation to the old land holders. So United Fruit may have had all these fallow farms taken from them, but they got paid for it. Uh, and they got paid about 600K. They were a little pissed off about that one though, because United Fruit, modern day Chiquita, was like, actually the land's not, that's not what the land's worth. The land's worth like $16 million. And the Guatemalans were like, oh, that's interesting because on your tax forms, you claim it's worth almost nothing. So that's what we're going to pay you based off of. Have you been cheating on your taxes forever? Uh, and the answer is yes, they were. Uh, so the Guatemalans ultimate pimp move went good. Fuck you. We're going to pay you based off of your fraudulent tax forms. And so that's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which like, yeah, our events, that kicks ass. Big tick move. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is so dope. So the State Department at this point decides to get involved, and they're like, actually, Guatemala, you owe United Fruit $16 million. You know when you get a cable from the U.S. State Department in the 1950s, things are probably about to pop off. <laughs> so they started a new PR campaign, and they paid somebody to write a study that investigated, quote-unquote investigated, links between Arbenz and the Soviet Union. Hey, there it is. And then they sent those results of this fake investigation to 800 DC lawmakers and influential staff. They didn't really need the study though, to be honest. Secretary of State was John Foster Dulles. He used to work for United Fruit's law firm. Dulles's brother was the head of the CIA. He used to be on the board for United Fruit. And the internal PR head for United Fruit was married to Eisenhower's private secretary. Basically, every rich person is connected to every other fucking rich person. They literally could just be like, yo, bro, do you mind helping us out with this shit? So pretty much immediately, Eisenhower is like, yep, CIA, go ahead and overthrow our bins. So he greenlit it. And this is the playbook that they still use today. So first they, they put up a naval blockade and some sanctions over some bullshit. The game plan was you combine psychological warfare and send a force to train Guatemalan, quote unquote, liberators led by an exiled Guatemalan general. Again, we still fucking do this stuff. They sent 400 liberators on a United Fruit Boat. Hey, look at that. So they literally ferried the people in for the CIA coup. During all this, a Miami radio station was used to pump out propaganda. United Fruit had a bunch of radio stations throughout the tropics, and they would rebroadcast everything from this Miami station. And it was propaganda like our Benz had committed suicide, rebel planes are flying over the Capitol. The usual thing we still hear, all the people have joined the liberating army to oppose the evil communist Arbenz. Usual bullshit. Unfortunately, that part didn't really matter because the Guatemalan military demolished them. They just absolutely yeah. wrecked them. Let's go. <laughs> Which rules. But after that, then rumors spread that Eisenhower was going to prep a full invasion. Uh, Arbenz actually believed this himself. The president was like, oh, fuck, now he's going to invade. And Eisenhower was like, yeah, I want you guys to believe this. So they flew. The U.S. sent Air Force bombers to fly over Guatemala City, like nonstop, so that people thought the U.S. military was going to invade. Which, like, yeah, if a B-52 flies over your city a bunch of times, you're also going to think the military is invading you. Like, that's what that means. So the Miami station is now talking about how, like, soldiers are getting defeated in the jungles. And throughout this, the, the media in America was always kept away from battles. But they were given accounts of the atrocities committed by Arbenz loyal loyalists. And they were given these pictures of mutilated corpses and mass graves. Like, look at what the Arbenz people have done. And it turns out, as a United Fruit PR exec admitted later, those were all pictures of earthquake victims. Jesus. Cool. Eventually, uh, under all this propaganda and the fucking U.S. Air Force flying above their cities, the army just like froze up. They had no idea what to do with the Guatemalan army. They just started ignoring or orders. They weren't working against Arbenz. They just were like, what the fuck is going on? So Arbenz resigned. So they stripped him to his underwear at the airport to shame him. And then he got shipped to Mexico where he wandered stateless from country to country for years. Uh, he actually did eventually go to the USSR out of desperation, and the U.S. used it as proof that he was a true communist, right? Uh, the Soviets actually didn't really like him much. They thought he was, like, kind of mediocre, and so they wouldn't even let him visit his family, so he hated it there. And eventually, after the, the Cuban Revolution, Castro invited him back. Big Dick Castro was like, just, just FYI, Cuba's not Ecuador. Uh, that's just not happening here. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why all this is such a big deal 
one, that was one of the most overt coups that the U.S. has committed in ages. And uh, they have used this exact same playbook over and over and over again. Uh, you can watch them do this now today with Venezuela. We have an exiled president, right, quote unquote, just some fucking douchebag. He rolls in with mercenaries. There's a, a bunch of propaganda about how there's atrocities committed. And then it turns out the local fishermen are like, yeah, no, fuck that shit. Like, we're, why would we, we like our government? What are you guys doing? And kicks them out. But this is how we still do things. What's the guy that um, we were trying to have, like, be instilled in, in, in Venezuela with, like, the picture of, like, him him on the phone? I'm picturing right. that, but instead of a cell phone, it's like a banana. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, now we do this stuff for oil, but back in the day, we did this for fucking bananas. Literal bananas. Yeah, just oh, like boy. a nice fruit to have, as opposed to, like, <laughs> something that runs your economy that, like, so much of your transportation necessarily needs. No, just oh, so insane. mid-tier level fruit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's destroying countries for some goddamn fruit, some some tropical fruit. Not even the best tropical fruit. It's not like if it was a fucking mango or papaya, I'd kind of get it. But Yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. Or we're all canceled for agreeing imperialism <laughs> is good on if we give this papayas or... No, I mean, it's still fruit. Like, oh, it's, it's so insane to me to be like, yeah, we got to overthrow that government. They won't let us get our fruit. And it's like, yeah. no, they'll let you get the fruit. They just want you to pay taxes on it. It's like, yeah, no, that's not... That won't fly. Fuck yeah, it, you still get fruit. It's just a bit more expensive. It's not <laughs> absolutely even... not. This won't stand. Oh, Che Guevara, by the way, was uh, nearby for all this and watching. At the time, he was uh, a medical student and he was selling religious paintings uh, for money, which is such a weird, hmm. like, sure. So basically, he's just a regular dude. And so he was watching all this happen and he tried to get other young men to go fight against United Fruits specifically. Like, these people are monsters. We got to do something. And he said he couldn't. Uh, and he has this quote later. He's like, in Guatemala, it was necessary to fight, but aren't hardly anybody fought. It was necessary to resist, and hardly anybody wanted to do that. Important lessons for Cuba, hmm. which is next up. Oh, other random fun fact about this. One of the CIA agents assigned to help overthrow Guatemala was later arrested for Watergate. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> One of the insane things about history is like you, you look at it as like a single point in time, but evil dickbags are evil dickbags for decades. Uh, and they're just constantly embroiled in evil shit. Like, again, Sam the fucking banana man, the guy who was like, I don't know, I don't like Honduras. So let me hire Machine Gun Kelly to fucking take it over. Is the one being <laughs> like, yeah, let's just coo this shit out. Coo, 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 baby. Like, let's just fucking do it. Yeah, Kissinger's still alive. Like, I mean, yeah. they're, they, they, these people just maintain throughout history just continually being yep. just evil fucking dickbags. Yeah, I mean, if Corona didn't happen, like, and there was, like, an actual war between America and Iran, I'm sure they would have, like, consulted Kissinger. Just wheeled him out of, like, whatever crypt he's, like, sleeping in upside down. Just Yeah. Oh, they're already trying to make uh, John Bolton seem like a good guy. I'm like, what? Yeah. Welcome to uh, the if resistance. You, if you last long enough, you will 100% be treated like a, a revered old wise man that we can go to like that's what's going on with kissinger they're gonna fucking do that with bolton they've already done that with bush it really the point with being evil in america is you just have to last long enough if you do suddenly you're a good guy again and you're full of sage advice apparently just sage advice about how to murder people but sage advice also if it, it's starting to become clear why everyone in latin america fucking hates the u.s mm. like this i feel like this makes sense now right like we all get this mm. cuba not long after this castro and uh, Shea managed to do the Cuban Revolution in 1959. They overthrow a terrible dictator because, of course, it was a terrible dictator. They turned the land reform almost immediately. So they, they learned some lessons from Guatemala, and it was like, don't fuck around with any of this shit. We're not paying you. We're not doing anything. It's just ours. So they just took all the land. They took all the land back. And it's estimated that when Castro took over, 75% of all the arable land in Cuba was owned by foreigners. And the vast majority of that was owned by United Fruit in the form of banana and sugar plantations. So they took the uh, land back from United Fruit, redistributed amongst their country. And immediately everyone in the U.S. and in United Fruit freaked the fuck out. Because why wouldn't they? So United Fruit begged the U.S. to take action. Um, same form as usual. They figured they could run basically the exact same game plan from Guatemala. Again, they've been running the same game plan since Guatemala for basically every Latin American country since. So they got 1,500 Cuban exiles, they trained them with the CIA, they ran a bunch of propaganda bullshit, and they decided to try to take to send the exiles in in 1961. 
And hey, more of the Great White Fleet of United Fruit did the transport. So just to be clear, this is a second coup where they're using, actually third coup, because Honduras as well, third coup where they're like, we're just going to use our own commercial ships to transport uh, these, these rebels to overthrow governments we don't like. Every fucking time. But this was Bay of Pigs, so this went a little different. Hmm. They lost horrifically. Castro lived to a ripe old age and thumbed his nose at the U.S. the entire time. Basically, let him go fuck themselves. Because, again, they did watch what happened in Guatemala. That was a big deal for Cuba, as they saw that you could try to do neoliberal reform. It wouldn't work. You could try to create a deal in which you paid back companies for just land they weren't using. Wouldn't work. No matter what you did... They were going to send in the military. So if that was the case, you might as well do the best possible fucking version of the thing, which like, yeah, agreed, you should. And you should be prepared for what their reaction is going to be. And Cuba was, um, which why they just roundly defeated these 1500 exiles. Growing up in Florida, Cuba was always talked about as like this great evil thing, right? Like evil country, evil government, all that shit. And as you get older, you're like, mm, it seems a little more nuanced than that. But if you were alive during this age, if you lived in Cuba and it had been run by Spain for like 300 years, and then America invades another foreign power, takes you over, immediately starts selling off your land. Uh, you run through a series of presidents, and then one of those presidents comes back as a dictator, and he makes things even worse. Uh, he gives even more of the land to the foreign companies. He treats all the citizens like shit. He has a military police that it brutalizes you. And you see this happening in every other fucking country in your region, all over the Caribbean, all over Central America. Like, why wouldn't you do a goddamn revolution? Like, even if you're not mm -hmm. a socialist. Yeah, that makes sense. These people are murdering you and your family every day, day in, day out. You don't even make fucking money off of it. Like, they're just treating you like shit. Why wouldn't you do a revolution? Like, it makes total sense. Everything with the Cuban revolution makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. After after getting through this, you're like, of course they did a revolution. And of course they told the U.S. to go fuck themselves. They actually, initially, Castro tried to go to America to get domestic aid and be like, we're not, like, we don't give a fuck about the Cold War. We just mm -hmm. want to do our own thing without banana companies ruining us. That's all we're looking for. And of course, America told them to go fuck themselves. Yeah, I guess, um, what was it, Freud's nephew? Um, yeah. his effect Renate. is still obviously like seen because if you think to like this point in history, the general American opinion is that like the real evil here is Castro, not like not the food companies that probably wouldn't come to mind. Typically it would be like the evil communist dictator, how authoritarian he specifically was and how, if you put it exactly. into perspective, it was far more like if you are a humanist in any respect, you would support that side. And that historical Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was like in this, by the way, they were like, uh, there's like numbers of, you know, one of the things they like to say is Castro killed all these political prisoners. And it's like the, the Department of State claims about 3,000 people were executed. Amnesty International claims about 200 were executed, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is like, yeah, those are really big different numbers. Yeah. And all the people who were executed were like policemen, politicians, and informers for the Batista regime, the, the fascist regime beforehand, accused of torture and murder. And everything, all the public trials and executions had a widespread popular appeal among the population. Yeah, like, just yeah, found out about this really fucked up thing where they executed people. It's called the Nuremberg Trials. I can't believe they <laughs> killed people. Wow. All the people in Bay of Pigs didn't get executed. All those, like, you literally showed up to overthrow the government if you did that in, the, in America. It's treason. Treason. It's, yeah. If you, if you fucking burn a police car, they're trying to give people life in prison for that shit. Yeah. Right? My grandma and my grandpa divorced like way before I was ever born. Pretty much the entire time I knew them, uh, my grandma's dating this Cuban guy named Chi Chi. He actually just passed away a few months ago, um, which is why I don't mind telling the story. He was at Bay of Pigs. Never really got the reasoning out of him because shock, he didn't love talking about it. And uh, uh, so he only spent a year or two in prison before he got ransomed back to the U.S. But even before that, they were sentenced to just regular prison time. Um, the max was 30 years. So I think he said he got 15, 20, something like that. And he was released back to Florida, settled in Tampa, started a travel agency. He used to talk about like the vacations you take. And it'd be like, anytime something flared up, he'd be like, shit's going wild in Colombia. He'd be like, you know what? I think I'm gonna take a vacation in Colombia. <laughs> and our family would be like, what the fuck? And so one time my grandma went with him and she was like, yeah, I just, I sat in the airport and he, he like delivered some package to some dude. And then we went on our vacation. And we're like, grandma, he works for the CIA. He's like, still today. <laughs> that's really wild wait so like 70 years old just like doing like opsec for fuck like just like you know doing crimes basically like 
Oh yeah, he was still doing. This was like he's probably like in his sixties at this point. So yeah, like through his sixties, um, I think he like officially retired when he hit like seventy. Wild. Yeah, fucking wild. It's the Florida story. Uh, I'm from Tampa. I'm not even from where all the CIA shit is, which is Miami. But almost everybody who grew up in Florida is like one degree of separation from a literal CIA asset. So that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> but this, the whole idea that like Castro is the devil, it's like this dude committed treason. You know it. You captured him on a beach with a gun trying to foment a revolution. And he served less time than people who smoke weed in Mississippi. So that's like really, really. Yeah, that's really nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> In the United you know, States, so you would you would literally be like you know sent to fucking just death instantly. Like, yeah, treason is um, a death penalty in America, isn't it? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So yeah, I mean, yeah, he got off way too light. Like everybody agrees on that one. Um, and I probably would have helped to not have him do more CIA shit uh, through the eighties and nineties afterwards, which is what yeah. happened. You know, and it's not like the CIA was doing good shit ever, ever, really, just ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so that's what happened with Cuba. They did an attempted coup. Uh, it failed miserably. But yeah, so was the, that's in the 50s, uh, or early 60s, 61. And 64 is actually when Dole became founded, officially became Dole. It's when Standard Fruit merged with Castle and Cook. Around this time, too, is when uh, all the bananas officially switch over to the one we eat today, the Cavendish, the shittiest banana in the world, mostly because it resists the Panama disease. And while Sagatoka does affect the Cavendish, uh, remember, they have that magic blue chemical shit that kills everybody, but does save the banana. So that's Are why they, they still switch using the that today. No, they keep upgrading to new pesticides. Don't worry, we have more pesticide stuff to get to. I'm not done with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just continuous evils all the way down. So Sam, the banana man's in charge of all this. Um, he retired not long after the uh, Bay of Pig shit. Through the various manipulations of Wall Street, they got taken over by this big Wall Street titan, this Jewish guy. Um, who was considered like super religious and he said he was going to reform them and all this stuff. So he, he does this in, I think, in like the late 60s, early 70s, he takes over Chiquita. And so in 74, the SEC launched an investigation that discovered Chiquita had given a $1.25 million bribe to the president of Honduras in exchange for future concessions because they were trying to update their uh, labor laws to be anything less than absolute horror show. And so Chiquita bribed, and not, not just Chiquita, this, this, uh, the, the moral Jewish dude who took over Chiquita explicitly gave permission for the bribe. So before that came out, he threw himself out of a window in Wall Street and killed himself. Hard to be too upset about that one. I'm proud of uh, him but, for that. I mean, a little bit, you know? Yeah. He did some self-crit and he was like, yeah, I don't like this one. I'm out. Because <laughs> he did. He was His whole thing was like, no, we're not going to do this shit anymore. And that lasted three years. Four years? Something like that? So that's that's the, uh, that's the like, real hor horrific years for the... Uh, banana companies the 50s up through uh 1980 so we're gonna there's some 70s stuff that comes up here in the modern era but so now we get to the sort of modern era 1980s to the present not much happened in the 80s uh largely they just became what was like a fairly normal multinational which meant normal evil stuff all the time and then uh in 1998 the cincinnati inquirer started doing the series on all the evils of chiquita pretty racy stuff it was good and so Chiquita hired a bunch of private investigators to figure out, like, what the fuck do we have on this guy? And they discovered that the reporters got access to all this info from um, a secret company voicemail that they, they weren't supposed to have access to. So Chiquita sued. They won. Cincinnati Inquirer had to take down pretty much all his articles. I actually had to find all of them on WikiLeaks. Like, they just don't exist anymore. Just one of those, those cool things multinationals can do. They can just make shit go away. So we get to, like, 2000s. Um, 2007 uh some more pesticide stuff comes up fun so this is dull this time they got sued for pesticide usage and so it's a specific type of pesticide that got banned in america pretty quickly because they found out it turns everybody exposed to really any quantity of it outside of like tiny tiny parts per million it makes you go sterile and so it was banned in america and it was produced by dow chemical which i'm sure they will feature at some point in a future episode Dole didn't really fucking care if it was banned in America. They kept using it everywhere they could, including Nicaragua. And so this lawsuit popped up in 2007, alleging that they kept doing this in spite of knowing that it was causing people to go sterile, in spite of getting all of these warnings from their own scientists, they kept using it. And this one was kind of weird because the guy who ran Nicaragua for Dole during the 70s was CEO of Dole in the fucking 2000s. 
right? The same guy, same guy who was like, yeah, no, who gives a fuck if these guys go sterile? It was the guy running everything. Jeez. So when they did this lawsuit, it was like the literal CEO was on the stand. Some of them, uh, some of the plaintiffs won some money. Um, like half of it got dismissed. A bunch of further lawsuits got dismissed because Dole allegedly planted people to say a bunch of wild shit to make the whole process seem like it was um, a lie and superfluous and just like an attempt to get money out of Dole. The Swedish filmmaker did a documentary about this lawsuit, right? About them using pesticides and causing everybody to go sterile called Bananas! Exclamation Asterisks. And it was supposed to premiere at the LA Film Festival in 2009. And Dole said they had serious concerns about the accuracy. They tried to get it removed. They asked festival officials to remove it. It was not allowed to compete for placement in the competition. And the festival officials, because Dole was bitching and moaning, they distributed information before the screening that said, like, Dole said the film's inaccurate. Even in spite of this disclaimer and everything, uh, Dole sued the guy. Again, all he did was run a documentary about a lawsuit. <laughs> That's all he did, right? So he sued the guy who did the documentary for defamation, didn't win. So this guy, the film director, Frederick Gurdon, Swedish guy, absolute pimp move, makes a sequel about yes. how they sued him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And that one's called Big Boys Gone Bananas. <laughs> what is it called? Big Boys Gone Bananas. That is that is some That's fucking amazing. big dick energy right there. That is uh, that a, is some king shit. Yeah. But yeah, so it was I watched it, it really wasn't that like not it was not an amazing documentary, but <laughs> thank you for giving it a bunch of uh uh an, an, a bunch of attention it wouldn't normally have gotten. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you got them free clout. <laughs> Chiquita, modern era, got sued or paying paramilitaries in Colombia. Uh, so Colombia, pretty much since that massacre in 29, uh, was just roiling nonstop since then. You can pretty safely lay the blame for that on the feet of Chiquita, right? Constantly fucking with that country. Came out that they paid AUC, which was a Spanish acronym for the right-wing United Self-Defense Forces of Colombia, the fascists. They paid the fascists a fuck a lot of money for like a decade. This is modern era. This is all like 2010. And the reason they paid them so much money is because initially they gave 800K to FARC, uh, which was the left-wing paramilitary group in Colombia. And then FARC kidnapped a bunch of Americans. So they went, oh shit, fuck, and paid the right-wing guys to try to help them out with that. And all of this was like, hey, we're just going to give you money and you stay away from our land and protect us. That was always the deal. And all the payments were known. They ended up paying a fine of 25 million in return for payments made to a terrorist organization. Hey, I bet they learned their lesson. There's literally a handwritten note from a Chiquita executive that said such payments are the cost of doing business and we need to keep this very confidential. People can get killed. Jesus. I, I just found this one because this is hilarious to me. In 2017, Chiquita spent a ton of money to block a 9-11 victims bill. What? <laughs> what? Uh, so the reasoning was because we got sued by victims of terrorist organizations, because we paid terrorist organizations in Colombia and we got sued by victims, the people who died at the hands of these organizations, if the 9-11 victims bill goes through, which allowed people to prosecute and go after uh, people who support terrorism, that they'll go after us. So we have to stop the 9-11 victims from getting any restitution. When you're just, just mask like, off the most evil people <laughs> in the world. Jesus Christ. Yes, that's how we get the libs on board for being mad at this. The fucking banana companies. And that brings us to the modern era. Uh, Dole has gone private and public like a half a dozen times, but they're still doing their thing. Chiquita got bought out by um, a bunch of Brazilian billionaires including a uh, orange juice company so or an orange company so they're still doing their thing but yeah uh, i submit to you two of the most evil companies in the world uh chiquita possibly the most evil it is difficult to imagine a greater force for evil over the last 120 years that was not a government hmm. um outside of chiquita right united fruit they got the ball rolling on the united states keeping the entire western hemisphere fucking destabilized forever Right, all the way up into the modern era. Like all of the shit that we still do, the stuff we do with Venezuela, uh, the stuff with Morales, like feels pretty fucking similar. The bit where they still manufacture consent. Like so many of the things that we still do with now were created by and for people to make more money off of a fucking banana. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> the whole fucking reason. 
none of this was for any purpose other than making money off of fucking bananas. And not just to make some money, to make more money because we were already making buckets. We already had like fucking stadiums full of cash, but it wasn't sufficient. It was never a sufficient amount of money. There's a purpose behind all of this shit. Yeah, I was trying to think of like companies that are like have some equivalent of evil and there's probably like companies that operated in like Africa, for instance, um, in a similar context. But like those companies are like diamond mines and like trying to mine precious resources, which is oh, yeah. like such a stark contrast to like the Latin American fruit. equivalent of the most evil, which is again for a mid tier level fruit. They might be single handedly responsible between them, obviously the U.S., yeah. government for fucking all of us but between them pushing the u.s government to do this stuff they're, they're responsible for more destabilized governments than i think any single corporation in the western hemisphere mm. like that's insane yeah. the next fucking time you insane. eat a banana like you just have to think about how many people were killed like murdered in cold blood for you to eat oh, yeah. that like mm. it just it's so deeply upsetting just how american empire operates where like basically everything you fucking touch has just caused the deaths of like you know people like caused the deaths of people all across the world yeah, and like such small elements of like our like cultural belief under slash understandings, like this, like putting bananas in cereal is healthy, is like predicated on so the murdering of so many like indigenous and generally marginalized marginalized people in Latin America. For for me to have that just tidbit in my head, yeah, it's insane. And and the health thing is really based on nothing. Yeah, the health stuff's not based on a damn thing. Breakfast is canceled. Based on fucking Sigmund Freud's nephew, yeah. because sure. I think I'll make an even stronger statement. I think fruit is canceled. No more fruit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the world has progressed past the need for fruit. <laughs> oh, and that guy Arbenz, um, who had like a real rough go of it, the one in uh, Guatemala who got fucked over. His story kept getting darker. His daughter ended up killing herself. He, he basically drank himself into an early grave. And then um, not that long ago, they disinterred him and moved him back to Guatemala and he has a, uh, a like a beautiful memorial now that people visit all the time. He's considered like the Guatemalan Lincoln. Hmm. Like he's wow. people love him. Yeah. So he at least is uh, is widely appreciated in Guatemala today, which is nice. That's good. It's the smallest. <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> That's what this is. What I can offer you. It's not called the best companies in the world. Like... <laughs> yeah. I guess the one thing we can learn from this episode is like shout out to Castro. Yeah. <laughs> Big W is to Castro. The more Big the W's. more I learn about Castro, the more I respect. Oh, yeah. Genuinely. Yeah, same. Like, it's like, uh, I know socialists are already on board, but like, I think for people who are not socialists, it is to me completely understandable why they would become uh, leftists, why, why Castro, why Che Guevara went this direction. Because what they saw was the utter destruction of all of their people. And there was only one way that seemed like it would do anything for regular people and they took it and it did it actually worked to better the lives of regular people my favorite line of like castro it's, it's from that um that video where he's um on his way to new york and everyone's like oh like don't you wear a uh, uh a bulletproof vest and then he like unbuttons his shirt and he was like um i i don't wear a vest the only vest i have is like my my moral vest like i have higher morals than like you know everyone mm. else and like i mean I, ju <laughs> yeah. I just think that's so fucking true because you are correct like he has done like more self-crit and i mean he he did so much to kind of prove that like there is like you know an actual socialist future i think for the majority of us yeah exactly and i mean to this day uh whatever criticisms you might have of cuba i'm pretty sure they don't have a hundred thousand of their citizens dying from an easily prevented health crisis. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I really feel like the main thing I got out of the banana thing was like 100% everybody in Latin America should hate America. All justifiable reasons across the board. Uh, and two, Cuba fucking deserves way more plaudits than they get. Like, holy shit, yeah. Cuba. Like, <laughs> God damn guys. Uh, they looked around, they saw how it was going and they went, we can do it better. And then they did. They fucking pulled it off. But yeah, I, I don't know if there's going to be many other companies in the future that will be this level of evil, ha has had this much of a of an impact. Um, we'll see. Like I said, the, <laughs> Siemens literally fucking built shit for the Nazis. So yeah, yeah. you know, there's a lot of evil out there. I think but. the the big three are probably like the banana companies, like the Dutch East Indies, Congo Free State, maybe. Oh, yeah. And then maybe... Yeah. Congo the, Free State yeah. is definitely... Oof. And then probably like the British, British India company. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other ones I was considering doing is BP. Oh, yeah. They are part of why uh, Iran got overthrown back in the day. Mm. That was them. 
who helped make that happen. Ford is like um, pretty pretty evil too, like in in their in their past and stuff like that. So. Oh yeah, I mean Henry Ford straight up supported Hitler. Like, yeah. Yeah. Full on, like that. That is a known thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it makes you like real black pilled about everything. Like the second that you take like a little bit of like a small like like materialist analysis or like Marxist analysis to look into like absolutely anything going on in the world around you, you just feel so like just bummed out all the time. Oh yeah. But yeah, there, there's so many evil corporations around. So I am open to suggestions for the next one. Um, well, thanks for joining. This has been Brett and Willis Ford. We had Liv at Liv Posting uh, at Twitter and Twitch. And then we had Babs at Cowgirl Bebop. And you can hear her on Dead Poster Society and Radio Free Labor. And we got back episodes on Patreon. You can hop on our Discord and chat with us. If you have suggestions, yeah, hit me up on Twitter at the show account, Dumb Awful Show. Come on Discord. Let me know what you think. There's so many fucking evil companies, man. <laughs> 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 uh, bananas. It is. Nice. nice. I resisted the whole time. Yeah, I okay. <laughs> yeah, I hope you all enjoyed. Thanks, y'all.